My name is Brian Lloyd. I am the movies editor of entertainment.ie. You are listening to the Revisit podcast. On this episode, our movie is Unforgiven and our guest, Tommy Tiernan. As he said it himself, this was everything he wanted to say about Westerns. I can't really think of any example of a film where an actor, a role, a story comes together in such harmony that it feels like it was just destined to happen. You know, you look at something like maybe Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones, or Laurence Olivier and Marathon Man, or, I don't know, Faye Dunaway in Chinatown, and you think, I couldn't imagine anybody else at those roles. I couldn't picture anybody else doing that role. In Unforgiven... There is no other actor on the face of the planet who could have played the role of William Money. And I think the reason for that is, is that, I mean, this was made in 1992. And of course, Clint Eastwood had been in Gunsmoke. He had been in all the uh, westerns from Sergio Leone from The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, Fistful of Dollars, A Few Dollars More. Really defined spaghetti westerns as we know it. Then went on to make his own, like, Pale Rider, High Plains Drifter, all these great, great westerns. The Outlaw Josie Wales. He had he was just so emblematic. He was so just the westerns guy that to make a story about a jaded gunslinger who's retired and hung up his guns and is going back for one final job, you couldn't think of any other better actor to play it because... This really was Clint Eastwood's story. I mean, Clint Eastwood initially said the only reason he was doing this was because he had feared that he had done enough westerns and he couldn't do any more with it. And that he didn't want to imitate anyone's work. And you could look at somebody like John Wayne when he did, like, True Grit. And there was a similar kind of... There's a similar sort of parallel between the two. Obviously, John Wayne, you know, he had done, like, The Searchers, and he'd done, you know, all the Sam Peckinpah stuff, and he was coming to the end of his run with Westerns, and True Grit was about a washed-up gunslinger. So, you could see that Clint Eastwood wanted to have his own True Grit in a weird kind of way. He wanted to go out with a bang, and he wanted to speak to his own experiences, his own ideas, his own beliefs about about the Westerns. And that's really what Unforgiven is about. Unforgiven is about the idea of a violent life lived violently and ending violently. Or not even ending violently, but trying to, if not make peace, at least try to accept that violence has been a part of their life. And even though they try to walk away from it, they try to leave it be, it still informs them, it's still rooted in them. Again, you couldn't think of any other actor to play that role other than Clint Eastwood because he is so iconic. He's Clint Eastwood. He's the man with no name. He's Blondie. He's Josie Wales. He is the guy. He's the hat. He's all hat. And even pairing him up against Gene Hackman, who, for me, this is one of Gene Hackman's signature roles. And I encounter... The Conversation, I count The French Connection, I count The Firm, I count 
any of his work playing the role of Little Bill in this just fantastic I mean incredible but more than that as well I think you know the fact that Clint Eastwood was directing this and he had the presence to allow William Money to be vulnerable I mean the first time that he and Little Bill meet he's dying of a he's practically dying of a fever he's really at his lowest point he's trying not to drink he's just huddling and he's been beaten about the place and even the first time we see his character on screen he's pushing hogs around the place and he falls in shit and he's really this guy that has come low that has little little else his wife has just died and he's just struggling and that's his reasons for doing this are mercenary he's just I need the money that's it it's as straightforward as that and you know whether Clint Eastwood that was his intent in real life I don't think so but you know what I mean maybe it was maybe he just you know knew that he could play this role whatever it was but like I mean yeah you know Clint Eastwood is so well known for not being lax on set but he's very direct and he just wants to you know his thing is you know get it done by four so you can hit the links and all this kind of stuff this was a script that was around four years. David Webb Peoples originally wrote this in 1976 and it had the terrible title of The Cut Whore Killings and then The William Money Killings. And Eastwood said that he was given the script in the 80s but that he didn't initially pursue it because he wanted to do other things. And obviously this was in the 80s so he was doing stuff like, you know, Heartbreak Ridge and he was doing stuff like uh, the Deadpool he was doing all the Dirty Harry stuff and what have you and also as well I think the idea being that you know he needed a few years he needed to age up this character correctly and really kind of get that sense of presence not so much presence but just the weight he needed the 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 the, the agedness he needed that stillness that sort of grizzled factor in it and it's funny as well like you look at something like Logan James Mangold's Logan with Hugh Jackman and they're basically the same film they're basically the same film it's about again about characters who are worn down who have lived violent lives are filled with regret and are trying to make good by doing what they do best and You know, to be fair to James Mangold and to Hugh Jackman, I mean, they both really acknowledged that Unforgiven was a huge touchstone. But yet, actually, when you watch Logan, I mean, the film that they reference constantly throughout it is not necessarily Unforgiven, it's Shane. But I mean, it's just Westerns in general. And like, again, like a lot of, uh, you know, revisionist Westerns, Unforgiven is really about demythologizing the sort of you know, moral absolutism that was in Westerns. You know, this sort of idea of white hat, black hat kind of thing. You never see a... You don't really see... I mean, the only time you see that kind of moral absolutism is in Richard Harris's character. And he's presented as this sort of knight-errant character who's, you know, walks into town and he's so well-dressed and he's so well-spoken. And he, you know, believes he's there to save the honour of these women. When in actual fact, 
he's an out-and-out racist who murders uh, Chinese migrant workers for the railroad and is this vainglorious, empty person. And that really is uh, Clint Eastwood and the script's sort of categorization of what that moral absolutum was. It was just completely empty. That the real the real lived violence was in both Clint Eastwood's character and Gene Hackman's character. And I think that's kind of interesting. They're the same character. They're both really violent men. Whereas William Money has racked himself with regret for years and has tried to live an honest life. Little Bill has become this tyrant. He rules the town of Big Whiskey. And that is the culmination of his violence. That is the culmination of his violent life. He is a, he is a petty king ruling his tiny little town in fear. Whereas William Money has left that behind, has left that violence behind and tried to live a clean life, but the regret still haunts him. And, you know, Morgan Freeman, I think, even though he accompanies William Money and he kind of acts as a moral conscience for him, I always felt he was underused. I always felt he could have had more in it. But having said that, I think Morgan Freeman gives a fantastic performance in it. He really, really does so much with a kind of a lesser role I feel James Wolvert as well who plays the uh, Schofield kid was fantastic in it and I really think that the the female roles specifically Frances Fisher as uh, Alice fantastic and Anna Thompson as well Anna Thompson is a brilliant brilliant actor and she's one of those kind of characters I think that just or one of those actors really that it's it's strange. It's just it's 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 odd that she's that she never had a bigger career. You know that kind of way. I really feel like she could have done something. She's one of those actors. I think that it's like what happened to her. Like why what why didn't it happen for her? You know. I mean, I know she was in like she was in like desperately seeking Susan and stuff like that, and she was in True Romance and what have you. But it's just it was one of those ones that was like why didn't she become more? I guess. I don't know. Maybe that's another podcast. So. Myself and Tommy Tiernan talked about Unforgiven. Tommy Tiernan, welcome to the show. Do you know, it's funny you picked Unforgiven. You being a comedian and stuff like that, I would have thought you would have gone for a funny film, no? Uh, Clint Eastwood is very funny in it. Do you think? Oh, he's totally funny. He's so thick. Yeah. The big thick head in him, like, yeah. like He repeats stuff. They killed Ned. They kill Ned and put him outside a shop. They kill Ned and put him outside a shop and put a sign on his head. They killed Ned. <laughs> so he's, he's marvellously... And the whole point of that character is that he's, he is ruthless, but he also is a bit daft, you know. Um, and Gene Hackman is very funny in it as well. Uh, uh, you know, remember Richard Harris passed himself off as uh, the, the Duke and <laughs> Gene Hackman calls him the Duck. The duck of death. <laughs> and there's a really fascinating thing as well, just in terms of the humour of the piece, is that the in terms of storytelling, each time a character is told uh, about what these guys have done to these uh, prostitutes, uh, it gets worse. Uh, and I know I think it's a very smart film. I love Westerns anyway, just because of their, their moral clarity. It, they come from a time when men had a purpose. 
<laughs> now that we've evolved beyond that and we're just useless willies in the wind, uh, the, the Westerns remind us of uh, when we had proper stuff to be going at. I, I think the rot, the rot started around Little House in the Prairie. Was it your man's hair that did it like because it was so like feminine? Like, was that what kind of ruined it for everybody? Like, our emasculation began <laughs> with Mr. Wilder. Is that his name? I think that was it. Michael, I remember he did that thing, Highway to Heaven. I remember that. Yeah, Michael Landau or something. Yes. Yes. Um, Lonsdale or Landale? Yeah, like that. But like Westerns that. are fantastic, you know, because they're, they're, um, they're almost Old Testament like in their. Uh, Clarity. Yeah. And the great thing about Unforgiven is that each of the different characters, it's like they each have a point of view and they they're totally believe that they're right. And that's what makes it a fascinating kind of um, movie is because you, and it subverts the Western as well. Uh, it makes it more realistic and more kind of grim, muddy and wet and, you know, uh, we're all used to, like, one of my favourite movies as well is Once Upon a Time in the West. Of course, yeah. Claudio Cardinal. Oh, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. I mean, was there ever, she looked like, she, she's, she looks in the movie like she's made out of toffee. Yeah. She's yeah. just so beautiful. I mean, she lo- literally looks like she just walked off, like, from an Italian, like, Vista kind of thing, like into the West, like yeah, no, it's incredible. Yeah? She's so beautiful in it uh, that that be, that your enjoyment of the, my enjoyment of the film is just marveling at the gorgeousness of that particular human being. It's also, there's an incredible scene at the start of Once Upon a Time in the West where there's a fly on a fella's face for about ten minutes, and they said the way they did that was they they put sugar or honey or something on the guy's face, and he happens to be cross-eyed as well, so he's just kind of. They're waiting for the train to come into town and, you know, but that, in a way, and Henry Fonda's blue eyes, you know, um, that they did with, uh, I think, some kind of a lighting tray underneath his face, you know. Um, but that's a classical, classical kind of Western. You know, the hooker is unbelievably beautiful. And almost kind of virginal as well, like the fact that she's so blonde and so kind of gorgeous and her face is just has these like very almost kind of artful lines if you if in in a horrible way yeah. Yeah, with unforgiven you know the the hookers are like uh women that you see walking on the street in kells <laughs> Jeez, i haven't been in kells in a while now i didn't know they all looked like that but all right fair it's enough packed with stripes <laughs> and it's an unsurprising film because each of the characters has such a strong point of view that you never know which way the plot is going to go yeah, like I think what Clint Eastwood like. I mean, he's built his career out of playing, as you say, these very moral characters who have this very there's good and there's evil, and that's been a hallmark of westerns. But when you go into when you kind of I suppose scratch the surface of Unforgiven, it tries to examine the idea of you know the price of a violent life lived violently. I mean, that, that, that amazing scene where he's about to shoot Gene Hackman, and he says. I see you in hell, William Money. And Clint Eastwood clicks the gun, scars down his face, wet outside, dribbling whiskey. And he just goes, yeah. Great man movie. It is, I mean, out of, out of all of Clint Eastwood's work, and I mean, I even would count something like Dirty Harry or, you know, Magnum Force or any of them. 
um, he doesn't, I mean, he's very simplistic, but I think there is a beauty in that simplicity. Do you know what I mean? Like, he just, he, like, he's one of these guys that, like, he has the set wrapped by four and then that that's it. He just walks off then when he's done. But yet, when you watch Unforgiven, it doesn't feel rushed. Do you know that sort of way? Like, it does actually feel like it's very considered as you watch he's it. He's a very calm presence on screen. And I'd, I'd kind of watch him in anything that he does, really. Um, he's very good in, uh, not Gran Torino, which he's amazing in, but there's another one, where he, um, I think he plays a kind of a septuagenarian drug mule. Oh, the mule, the mule. Yeah, I mean, you know, and... You know, some of his movies are better than other of his movies, but he and he's he's watchable because he's not trying too hard, you know. Um, so I, I I like him a lot. Do you find? I mean, I, I mean, again, we were talking about your comedy, but you know, for your your acting roles, I mean, would you try to draw from some of his performances? And I mean that in the sense of like his simplicity do you know that sort of way his sort of like his directness a lot of people will come up to me and say that I remind them of Clint Eastwood would they yeah yeah I mean mainly primary school children right <laughs> is it the beard is it the hair is it the, the hawk eye glance like, like no, what I is think it it's, like it's, it's stuff that their mams have asked them to say to me <laughs> the mams are too shy to come up and speak to me directly so that, um I really don't know how to act and I think there's a lot of awful acting on television and I would lay the fault for this on directors. Um, actors are very capable people and actors are uh, able to do a range of different things but oftentimes they're lacking a director who says, no, do it like this. Make the performance smaller because a director would often have too many other things going on in his mind they can often take their eye off performance. And so I'd never blame the actor for, an, for a part that's overperformed yeah. um, or for a note that's got wrong. Because I think the director can always just go stop and do it again. So in terms of my own acting, um, I really don't know how to do it. And uh, I'm a performer. And when I'm doing stand-up, the crowd is my director. So I've, I'm listening for, did that line get a laugh? Why not? What can I do tomorrow night to work that line? So we're, it's something that we, myself and the audience, do together. Yeah. When it comes to even serious acting, I, I, I need to trust whoever's directing me an awful lot. Um, and I need to say to them, you really, because my own compass, the one that I've worked with for years, won't work in this environment because there aren't, 800 people in front of me drinking yeah or laughing at you I was very lucky I did a film called um, Dark Lies the Island with Ian Fitzgibbon and I was very lucky with Ian because uh, Ian was just no 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 yes but he, he, Ian is an actor's director anyway so um, in all of Ian's films the performances are very very strong yeah. So, yeah. Uh, that, but I, I need that. And I wouldn't even say I enjoy acting, you know. I remember during Dark Lies the Island, I was in uh, a scene with the amazing Ashling O'Sullivan, who is, uh, she's a horse of an actor. She is elemental, strong, captivating, all those adjectives you use to describe a horse. <laughs> she's just, she's incredible. Um. And we were sharing a, a minibus back to the hotel where we were staying. 
and uh, she just asked me how I was getting on. It was the first film I'd done in maybe 20 years or something. And uh, I said, oh, I, 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 it's too much effort and I'm, I'm working too hard. And, oh, oh, and I really looked up to her as a performer. You know, it's, oh, it's just, it's, it's, and I said to her, when is it fun? Because <laughs> like, basically when you, when you think of what we're doing is we're just pretending to be other people. Yeah. And when we were yeah. kids, we knocked off a crack out of that, you know, pretending to be astronauts or cowboys or, you know, bank robbers or nurses. And it can get, it gets very serious when you're an adult. And I, and I was, I was thinking I was doing something wrong because I wasn't enjoying it in the way that I remembered acting when I was seven. And I said, well, when is it fun? And she had a cigarette in her hand. <laughs> She's looking out the window. She just turns and goes, it's never fucking fun. <laughs> so I guess it's acting is, hard hard work like that you know um and i i i have a, a phenomenal respect for actors um and the job they do uh but in terms of my own thing i i i, I don't really have any guide other than the director and I, and i would depend on the director a lot yeah yeah you mentioned there the kind of thing of you know acting being hard work and you know, these actors aren't supposed to enjoy themselves and what have you. But, you know, like looking at something like Unforgiven, which is, you know, very clearly a Western film. And the actors that they have in it, are, I mean, they're fucking incredible. Like Richard Harris and Gene Hackman, they're heavyweights. And I remember I was thinking back to an interview you did with Colin Meany and you kind of gave him a bit of a slagging about Star Trek. And you were kind of saying like, you know, like when you're doing some of the techno Bible, Jesus, you, you must have been just you know, counting the money as you were doing it or whatever. Watching this, though, you don't get that at all, do you? You, you can see that they actually really do commit to it. Like, I, remember, I remember reading an interview. Uh, it was either with Pierce Brosnan or Liam Neeson, and they had done a Western together that I can't remember the name of. Seraphim Falls. Yes. And I thought it was great. I mean, the last 10 minutes are mental. Uh, but... There's a phenomenal, it's just phenomenal bits in it. Um, the last 10 minutes, it's almost like you're kind of wondering, it's, it gets surreal. And you're wondering, oh, have they, they're in this kind of desert. desert yeah. Have they died? Uh, why is Angelica Houston in this horse and carriage? Like, what's happening? But there's phenomenal scenes in it when, like when Pierce Brosnan, his horse dies. And the, and the next thing he gets inside the horse to stay alive. He cuts open the belly of a dead horse and he climbs inside of it. And Liam Neeson is coming towards him and Brosnan comes out of a dead horse like... <laughs> and one of them was doing an interview about the movie and they just said it was wonderful crack for two Irish lads pretending to be cowboys. You know, so I guess mm. that thing of having fun, if you know what you're doing, I suppose you can have fun and they're all... The guys from Unforgiven are just so experienced, you know, that it, mm. yeah, it must have been a lot of fun to do it. You'd imagine, maybe not now. You'd wonder, do, does a great performance always come out of fun? Do you have to be enjoying it? Yeah. You know, yeah. do you have to be having the crack? Are you, so, are you so concentrated that you can't afford to be thinking in that way? Yeah, because I would think myself, like if you're, if you're at that level of expertise with something and you're able to do it that well, you should be able to find some joy in it, like... And even like with Clint Eastwood's character, like the fact that he was this like stone cold killer, yet 
for him, he never found any joy in it, and he even said himself, like, oh, I was drunk every time I shot somebody or whatever. Like, yeah. Very good impersonation. Thank you very much. Um, speaking of speaking of Westerns, though, and Irish, I mean, have you seen Black 47? Uh, I haven't seen all of it. What did you think of it? Um, I guess I had a bit of resistance to it initially because there's a play by Tom Murphy called Famine. Um which is an, an incredible bit of work and it's probably the, the only as well as the best. So uh, it doesn't have much competition. Um, dramatization of the famine that exists. Uh, it's a two and a half, three hour play and it's tough going. And when I'd heard about Black 47, I guess my, I was immediately prejudiced because I thought, okay, they're transferring something onto a famine background uh, and they're therefore doing the famine a disservice. Um, so that was my prejudice before the film. But then when I watch it, you're just kind of blown away by performances. Or you're blown away by directing. Um, I wasn't that keen on the actual storyline of it. But yeah. in terms of what Lance did with the camera and what all the actors did you're thinking this is uh is fantastic so yeah yeah no it's just because i think of like black 47 is very much a clear-cut revenge story and unforgiven would be a very clear-cut revenge story except it's coming from the idea of the women who are desperate for revenge and even when they get it it doesn't actually seem to be all that fulfilling for them you know and that revenge is ultimately something that just perpetuates itself again and again and again Talk to me about what for you would be your favourite scene in it or the one that sticks with you the most. I think it's, it's the one, it's Clint Eastwood in the bar when he comes to uh, shoot Gene Hackman. Yeah. I'm very interested to know what, how women feel about the film. Um, it's just when, when, when he, you know, Gene Hackman is there and he's talking, he said, we're going to this and we're going to that, we're going to meet at 6am tomorrow morning and we're going to meet here, we're going to be there. And Clint Eastwood is there in the room, you know, and just this silence comes, you know, and uh, he, sh- he, he shoots the guy who owns the place first. Who owns this shithole? And this kind of weedy guy steps up and, and Gene Hackman says, you know, shame on you, you shot an unarmed man. Well, he shouldn't have decorated his bar with my friend. And it's just the way that scene develops, you know? Uh, and the different twists in the scene, you know? Uh, first, first twist is his gun jams, you know? And then he shoots everybody. And it's just the power of the writing is just phenomenal. And that... that one of my favorite lines ever, you know. Uh, my my other favorite line from another from, from a movie is, uh, "I always I always say that loud going into a toilet." <laughs> it's the line Russell Crowe uh, does in Gladiator. He says, uh, "When I give the command, unleash hell." <laughs> any time I go into a toilet and I'm, you know, I'm not going to be there for a while. I always take off my jacket and I say, when I give the command, <laughs> unleash hell. <laughs> but my other favorite line from a movie is, um, is the sea, is the see you in hell. 
money out of Missouri kill women and children. See you in hell. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, because like it's again, I, I always think about unforgiveness is that nobody else could play that fucking role. Nobody else. Like it is Clint Eastwood through and through. Like you look at something like I don't know, Raiders of, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and you could say, oh yeah, I could see Tom Selleck maybe could have been right for that or somebody else. But for that, but for Unforgiven, it's Clint Eastwood through and through. Like there's nobody else who could have done it. He like. has, that, like we we're saying, that stillness. But also, that's a real light comic touch he has. You know, it's, it, is, it is very funny in it. Um, he's so kind of, he doesn't see the big picture. He's so kind of tunnel visioned. Um, and he, he has to say things out loud a few times before he's sure that he understands what's happening. That it's caught to him, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant. You mentioned, it, and it's funny you mentioned it because uh, my, uh, my fiance hates this film. She absolutely hates this film. And I think one of the reasons why she hates it is because, and I can see it, I, I absolutely see her point, and I'm not just saying that just to be whatever, but. Uh, the women in it don't have any agency. Do you know what I mean? They're all just victims in it, like, and they have to go out and get men to be the to be their agents, like. So I can see it's funny you say like how the women think. I think they don't like. I mean, have you had any experience watching it with like I don't know your partner? I, or... I don't know any women. I didn't think they had women in Galway. I wasn't no, sure. We don't. Like... We're just, we we have, we have fellas in dresses, and that that does us. <laughs> It's all like seven brides and seven wives. Like you have to come down from the, you have to come out from the coast. Seven husbands and... for seven fellas. Is that that we have here? <laughs> um, but that's a, it, it doesn't have to be, uh, you can enjoy something on its own terms. It doesn't have to be uh, pleasing for everybody. And, and uh, so I can understand that uh, somebody might be wa- watching something and go, all the women in here are, are kind of daft. But there's a book out in France at the moment, isn't there, called I Hate Men. And um, there's a bit of a furore about that because it's some minister said that it shouldn't be sold anymore. And women are coming out and saying, no, it's, if you have freedom of speech here, you know. So, um, I, yeah, and I guess there are such things as man movies. Yeah, of course. I'd be yeah. sitting down at half ten at night and, you know, myself and my wife would sometimes watch stuff together. And she'd come in and uh, I'd say, oh, it's, it's a great movie. It's, it's, uh, these, these fellas are robbing a bank and then they're going to blow up. <laughs> they're going to blow up the moon and they're going to live in the sun. And it's all... <laughs> and she just goes, bit of a man movie. <laughs> she goes to bed. So and that's the end It's okay it. that we don't watch the same type of stuff. But I completely, I, I guess the portrayal of women in this isn't, um, isn't rounded. Although, having said that, though, I do think that they do give very strong performances in it. Like, I think, I mean, it's, it's you know, the fact that we're even talking about them. I think if it was something like, I don't know, if it was any other film, I don't think you'd, you'd even consider their part in it. Yet they do have a part in it. They just don't have any agency in it, you know. But again, that that is accurate of the time that the film is set in. Do you know what I mean? Like, the women didn't have any agency back then. Well, so I don't know about that because it didn't, um, Rene Zellweger... Is she in Meek's cut off? She's a very kind of powerful woman. Yeah. Um, and I think I can't remember the actor's name now. Some other Hilary Swank, I think, did yeah. a Western where she's very strong in it. Um, so I, I don't know about that, but I you enjoy something for what it is. And of course, there's another discussion to be had around the context of the film. 
But I don't, you know, um, I'm a great fan of, uh, a huge fan also of science fiction, which wouldn't be in any way historically accurate. <laughs> Not in the slightest. So um, you enjoy something but for its own, for its own benefit, really, you know, on, on its own merit. It's surprising to say that you're a fan of science fiction. I never would have guessed well, that. I love it. I love it because it's, um, it's moral and it's imaginative. Um, so, uh, and it, I, so, stuff I've watched recently, I mean, there's an amazing one called Solaris by uh, Tarkovsky, which is work. It's not entertainment. So it really is, it's a job of work to watch it. But it's phenomenal. Um, but I even watch stuff like, um, is it Prometheus with Michael Fassbender? Yeah. Where he goes up and that's, it's just so, such smart stuff. Um, do you remember the one years ago as well? Was a one with Matt Damon? The Martian? No, not I try, uh, the Martian. Gro- growing spuds on Mars. <laughs> Taking a shit and using it as slurry. Oh, sure, that's what we'll all be doing. I found that a bit hard. I didn't really like that so much. Um, but most science fiction... Uh, I just, it's the imagination. Yeah. I hate Star Wars and I hate Star Trek. That's surprising. They're more kind of fables to me. Um, it's the, uh, I remember one time I was having a chat with a friend of mine about the movie Gravity. Gravity! Horseshit! Absolute horseshit, he was saying. Sandra Bullock floating around space in her knickers for two hours. Jesus Christ! And then he, he came up with one of the all-time classic lines. He said, and... In terms of orbital mechanics, it's bullshit. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> who knows anything about orbital mechanics? <laughs> and he thinks that's bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. So, um, no, I, I, but good, good science fiction, good movies in general, like how often do they come along? In terms of uh, mainstream blockbuster stuff, is there one every two months? There's, there's thin pickings. Very much so. Um, it's funny you say that, Just and this will be my final question because I know we're tight for time, but um, yeah, it's funny that in both in sci-fi and in Westerns, again, morality is very, very clear. Is that what kind of draws you to it? The clear moral of, clear morals of good and evil and how that's not exactly real, if you know what I mean, in real life. Yeah, there's, there's a clarity there, but again, with Unforgiven, you have, it's a very... Uh, it's in that landscape but like that thing of every character in it has their own opinion so they're not all cohering to one view which would argue against the good versus evil thing so characters in it are Gene Hackman is good and evil Clint Eastwood is good and evil Um, so I'm not sure it's that I just think it's the there's a simplicity to westerns that I just I just love it. I, I, I think it probably has to do with masculinity and men having a purpose. And in science fiction, it's probably the same thing just transposed to the stars, you know. Um, but the imagination of, of science fiction really excites me and, and the way these people can come up with stuff, uh, I, I think is incredible. Um, but like I said, good science fiction stuff is few and far between, you know. It's, it's maybe hard to find. Mm. Mm. Do you find that men, I mean, do you find that men today, do you feel we're lost? I, I've never, like, all you can do is, I've nothing to compare it to. Yeah. You know, so I can, but I, I do maybe wonder about uh, 
say my sons. Um, so I've I've young boys in their early twenties, and I do. I'm very curious as to how they n- navigate the the their relationship with women, uh, in terms of a lot of the energy to do with male sexuality is uh, frightening, uh, criminal, and dangerous. Um, and a lot of it then is, and but a lot of it is natural and joyful and life-giving. Mm. Um, but there is a, uh, there's a lot of psychic energy on that dynamic at the moment. Um, that men of my age who are married and are not dating have to deal with, but not in the same way that young flus are out in bars and going to nightclubs and drinking and dealing with women that are drinking and, and dealing with young women in universities and in jobs. And it's all, it just seems it, it, that's what's different, you know, um, from when I was growing up. So, but in terms of men, men feeling lost, I have nothing to compare it to really. Um, I suppose one interesting thing that a friend of mine said to me is that why are all fathers in sitcoms stupid? Uh, and I even play one in Derry Girls, like the, yeah, the dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bit kind of, um, now, the granddad in that is kind of strong, but it's, a kind, of a, it's kind of a theme throughout sitcoms that, that the stupid man, what, what, what is that a part of? You know, um, but he, so even say the height of, not the height of, but a great time of toxic masculinity would have been the 60s. Yeah. And I, was, I, I don't know, I'm going to turn that out there. Yeah, yeah. No, but even then in sitcoms like I Love Lucy and the Dick Van Dyke show, the men were kind of stupid. You know, um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting question, but do I feel lost? All I can say is I enjoy Westerns. You know, I don't know if I'm lost or not. I, I, I don't have a map of where I'm supposed to be, so I, I couldn't tell you how far behind I am. He's a really interesting guy, isn't he? I was really going into it not knowing what to expect from him because I was kind of thinking, you know, like if you've watched the Tommy Tiernan show, like he's very intelligent and he really does have a really sharp insight but then you watch his stand-up and he's crazy and he's running all over the place so i was kind of wondering which tommy i'd get but uh hopefully you found that interesting certainly i did my thanks to tommy tiernan for uh coming on and talking to me really do appreciate that big thanks to own renane charlotte reed and fiona flynn especially charlotte reed that was the first audio uh recording we did with zoom and i know it was a bit tricky with editing so really do appreciate the effort uh charlotte and finally thanks to you for listening if you like the show, please do let me know. Uh, you can like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever you got this podcast. You can send me a tweet. It's at Brian M. Lloyd, and that's L-L-O-Y-D. Or you can tweet just entertainment.ie. That's entertainment.ie. And yeah, hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening.